everybody and their brother when Texas takes the field for their spring game. Everybody and their brother's looking at the quarterback spot. And every single thing will be micromanaged, and we will overreact to it. You and I both will overreact to it. But it's going to be warranted. Hello and welcome in. Today is Friday, April 14th. It's always college football. We have a gigantic slate of spring games coming up within the next 24 hours. And we already had a couple this week, to be honest with you. So yesterday's action was exciting. We'll get to that a little bit more down the road. But we must first dive in to all the different storylines for tomorrow's big games. Now, there's going to be a few teams that are notable omissions. Why are they being omitted? Because we're going to visit about them on Monday. So if your team's not listed, don't worry, we're going to get there. I promise you that. But there are 10 teams that we want to go into. There are 10 significant storylines that we want to hit as it relates to some of these games. Now, you're probably going to wonder, and maybe there's some that there's multiple storylines, but we're going to try to isolate just one. What are we looking for? When we tune in to, say, Miami's spring game, what are we going to watch? When we look at Arkansas's spring game, sure, we're going to watch KJ Jefferson, but that might be the highest, that might not be the highest priority for us when we take a peek at what they're doing in their spring game. So, we're going to go through 10, then we're going to hit the mailbag, and we have a final thought about a certain Texan that is going to be heading out west and might have a little bit, uh, I don't want to say it's like it's going to be a game changer, but maybe Cliff Kingsbury can only take USC up just a little bit more, something we'll discuss here in a bit, but let's talk spring football. Let's talk about it. 10 questions from the games coming up tomorrow that we're very interested in. Now, there's a bunch of spring football games. If you haven't seen them, go to fbsschedules.com. Every single spring game is listed. And the amount that are being played on Saturday are almost difficult to contain. We've already had Florida go last night. We've had a bunch that are coming up just tonight. And then we obviously have a ton coming up tomorrow. So... Check it out, fbsschedules.com. They'll give you the whole gamut. And by the way, it's a good resource in the future. This is They don't pay this, by the way. This is not a paid advertisement. FBS Schedules has been a resource for me since I got into this industry. They can give you future scheduling, all that other stuff. But they, they were the best, I think, when it comes to spring game scheduling. Let's talk about it, okay? Miami Hurricanes needing a bounce back, okay? The biggest question for them, how does Shannon Dawson's, Shannon Dawson's offense look? I almost said Shannon Dawson's, but you get that, right? Do you understand? Shannon Dawson's offense, how does it look? Because last year, for as good as Josh Gaddis is, and we've talked about this before, Josh Gaddis is a really, really good coach. It just, maybe it wasn't the right fit, and maybe it wasn't the right time for him to implement his style of offense onto the Miami program. You already know, and we've already talked about it, Tyler Van Dyke's regression last year and what he was after throwing for 2,900 yards, 25 touchdowns against just six interceptions in 10 games back in 2021 under Rhett Lashley. They went with Josh Gaddis last year, and his efficiency regressed considerably. Just 1,800 yards, 10 touchdowns, five interceptions in nine games. Got a little beat up along the way. So they're going to get back to a little bit more of what Rhett Lashley did. 
by bringing in Shannon Dawson. Dawson, of course, most recently was with the Houston Cougars. And you would anticipate after, I don't know, if you look at what Houston's done in his time, it's pretty dang impressive. I think there's only one direction to go for Miami next year. They were 86th in offense last year, just 367 yards per game. They're going to be a lot better than that. The personnel is better than that, and the league is gettable. It's not like you're playing against a bunch of war daddies on the defense side of the football in the ACC, so it's gettable. Very, very curious to see what this offense looks like in year number one, in spring number one, under Shannon Dawson. Moving next to TCU. I think the big question mark for TCU it's easy. It would be very easy for me to say, well, how does Chandler Morris look? Is he locked down the position at the quarterback spot? One, I don't think that's a competition. I know a lot of people say, well, don't keep an eye on, on Sam Jackson. It's a guy that they were really high on. He spurned both Notre Dame and Oregon to choose TCU. F fine. Chandler Morris, according to Sonny Dykes himself, beat out. Max Duggan last fall by a quote mile. That's from Sonny Dykes himself said the competition wasn't close. And if you look at what defensive coordinators have said that have played against Chandler Morris, they said, Hey man, if Max Duggan would have gotten hurt, we might've been in more trouble. That's don't ask me, ask Ron Roberts, who formerly was with the Baylor bears. Now he's the defensive coordinator with the Auburn Tigers. You can read the whole piece on Chandler Morris through the athletic. It's terrific. Check it out. I don't think it's a competition, so that's not something I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to. I am, however, going to be paying attention to some of the new additions that TCU might need to lean on. Now, ton of notable transfers, okay? The, the big ones that I'm focusing in right now are on the offensive side because there is some firepower that needs to be replaced. We already know that they lost... Kendra Miller at running back. We already know that they've lost some efficiency and some length at wide receiver. So how did they fortify some of those losses? You go out, you get Trey Sanders, transfer from Alabama. You go get JoJo Earl, transfer from Alabama. And you go get John Paul Richardson, a transfer from Oklahoma State. So I'm very curious to see what these new additions look like and have they develop a rapport already with the quarterback, Chandler Morris. That's what I'm going to be paying a lot of attention to. Moving on to the Arkansas Razorbacks. And Mark Kubiak, our producer, is really upset that we're not asking the question, is KJ Jefferson the best quarterback in the SEC? Why would we ask that? It's a spring game. So if you, if, if you Kubes can, can learn that in a spring game, by all means, I'm going to resist the urge to go for the low-hanging fruit. I don't think I can find that out because guess what? KJ Jefferson isn't playing against the likes of Jaden Daniels. He's not playing against, you know, uh, Joe Milton. I, I don't know if he's the best quarterback in the SEC, and I'm certainly not going to find that out in the spring game when he's going against vanilla defenses, and he's probably not even live. He can't even tackle him. So, no, I'm not going to find that out. But what I might find out is we already know that Travis Williams is the new defensive coordinator for the Arkansas Razorbacks. Barry Odom left. He's now the head coach at UNLV. Terrific coach, I might add. But that team last year, especially in the back end, had a lot of issues. Okay, If you look at their personnel, it was a real problem. They also now lost their best pass rusher in Drew Sanders. He's now moving on. So that secondary, without Drew Sanders continuing to pressure the quarterback with Jordan Dominic 
and Isaiah Nichols, who decided to transfer, those being some guys that really played well up front last year, if the front isn't as active and they're not as good and the back end has to hold up even longer than they did last year, can they handle that? Now, I can never learn a lot from pass rushers in a spring game environment. Why? Because the quarterback's not often live. If you're rushing the passer and you run by and touch his shoulder pad, depending on the coach, it might be a sack or it might be a free play. But if it's credited with a sack, is your defensive line really good or are they good at touching the quarterback as they fly by and the quarterback now takes off for 20-yard run? So I have a hard time evaluating pass rushers in a spring game setting, but I am very curious to find out about their secondary. Jalen Catalan, their best player from the last two years. He got hurt early last season. He's now playing for the Texas Longhorns. And you lose Simeon Blair as well, who transferred to Memphis. Who are going to be the guys? Who are going to be the guys in the back end that step up? Can they cover, albeit another one of the question marks that I have for Arkansas this year, what do their personnel look like? What are their weapons looking like offensively? Well, if they can't cover guys that I'm not sure about right now, that will be concerning. So I'll be watching the secondary very closely for the Razorbacks. Moving on to Michigan State. Michigan State is having what I call faux quarterback controversy. Now, you're going to say, Greg, how is it faux? Mel Tucker has been outspoken about the fact that they are having an open quarterback competition. I, I know that they're having an open quarterback competition, but is it more... For optics, like, hey, Peyton, you haven't earned the starting quarterback job. Or is it a real legitimate quarterback competition? I really want to know that. And I think we might be able to find that out as they take to the field on Saturday. Now, those that are vying for the job, if you will, considering they called their depth chart, quote, fluid, Peyton Thorne is the incumbent, did take a little bit of a step back last year, no denying that, but he didn't have the run game support that he had two years ago, so a step back would be expected. He had to carry a little more of the load. Now, can he adequately carry the load if the run game isn't what it was in 21 and make better decisions along the way? I mean, we are talking about a guy that did just a couple years ago have a sensational season complimenting Kenneth Walker in that run game and bringing out the best in what was a very underappreciated wide receiver core coming in to that season, but clearly proved that they could play at a really high level with great athleticism. Now, the comp competition alongside Thorne. You got Noah Kim and he got freshman Katten Hauser. Kim does have some experience and has played in relief at times, been efficient in those relief appearances, 14 of 19 for 174 and three touchdowns. But those competition that he played against, not necessarily what you would expect when he's facing off against some of the better teams in the Big Ten. Is this a real competition? If I see Kim splitting reps, with Peyton Thorne with the ones, if I see them getting Hauser in there a little bit as well, then I might be a little bit more open to the idea that this thing really is up for grabs heading into the summer. Let's find that out as they take the field on Saturday. We'll keep it in the Big Ten for now. The Penn State Nittany Lions. Now, a lot of people are going to be tuning into their spring game wanting to take a peek at new quarterback Drew Aller. I am too. I, I'm not going to sit here and try to pretend that I'm not going to be a little enamored with the big, strong-armed young quarterback that they have such high hopes for. Who's he throwing it to? And that, that's my biggest question, is I look at this group, and I know that they've recruited well, and I know they have great dynamic running backs that they're going to lean on, and they're going to continue to make sure that those guys are a huge, huge part 
of what they want to be offensively. I know the offensive line too, a couple pieces to replace up front as well. But offensively, you lose some pretty good pieces. I mean, some. I, I would even venture to say that some really good pieces. And there's some, there's some talent now. I'm pretty excited about the possibility of what comes back. But you lose Mitchell Tinsley. You lose Parker Washington. And I think maybe the best offensive player on that roster last year, even though he will never get the credit that he probably deserves, is Brenton Strange. He was the tight end, and I thought he was tough as nails and played his tail off. But now you bring back Lambert Smith, Keandre Lambert Smith. Now, he had a solid year last year in the Rose Bowl, especially. thought that that was a really impressive game. They also add a couple of transfer players. You bring in Dante Cephas from Kent State, and you bring in Malik McLean from Florida State. Now, which of those two guys potentially emerges to be on the other side of Lambert Smith is something that I'm anxious to figure out. Also, very, very intrigued by some of the young options that are getting some buzz coming out of spring, the most notable being Harrison Wallace III. Now, he's got impressive, impressive athletic ability. You could see a viral video that came out of State College where he he jumped and he's like, goodness gracious, a guy hung in the air off one foot. He's just got some serious game. So his explosiveness is something I'll be keeping a close eye on. And with those three young guys, I mean, he's not the only one, by the way. Uh, I mean, you got Malik Mega, you got Harrison Wallace, you got Caden Saunders. I mean, these are some young guys that are probably going to be playing extensive minutes in the fall. And I think we might get a better indicator of what those minutes might look like based on their performance in front of a bunch of fans at Penn State on Saturday in their spring game. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Moving south now to the Big 12, the Texas Longhorns. Can we really even pretend to be interested in anything other than one position? I'm, I'm okay. What's the running back room going to look like? Sure. I'm, yeah, I guess that intrigues me. Like, okay, what, what are they going to do to replace a couple pieces on defense in the front seven? Like, all right. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll pretend to be interested. Everybody and their brother knows we're watching one position. We and, and honestly, one guy in particular, like last year, we were in the same boat, weren't we? And with last year, when Quinn Ewers went to Austin, Texas, everybody was like, we got it. We got it. It was one of the hot topics in college football. He's number one overall recruit in the 2021 class, transfers from Ohio State. He's going to take Texas to new heights. He's going to be all Big 12. And then there he is through six quarters against Alabama. First game of the year was a great game. First half of the Alabama game was a great start. Gets hurt. 
plays well against Oklahoma, plays well for a couple weeks, then he hits Oklahoma State, and then he was never the same. And he lost a little bit of that edge and some of that moxie that made him an excellent player there early in his career. Well, now that Ewers has kind of shown that he's human, all attention is going to go towards Arch Manning. And it's not just for the casuals. Like I'm like I'm I'm pretty hardcore into the college football world and I want to grind on every single nook and cranny of the Longhorns roster. But I cannot help myself when Arch Manning goes in the game, my eyes are going one direction, and that's towards him. I I want to see what he's all about. I mean, we've heard about him. I've heard about him since he was in seventh grade. I've I've looked up there's probably been three or four guys that I've watched high school highlights of. He's one of them. I actually care very much what he looks like in his first outing for the public. Will he handle it? How will the poise be? If he misses, does he miss high? Because when you miss high as a quarterback, it often indicates that you're a little nervous. You're gripping the ball a little too tight. And if the ball floats, it's because you're feeling it a little bit inside. Everybody and their brother, when Texas takes the field for their spring game, everybody and their brother's looking at the quarterback spot. And every single thing will be micromanaged, and we will overreact to it. You and I both will overreact to it. But it's going to be warranted, given how much we've heard about Quinn Ewers. And remember, Quinn Ewers is really only a, a true sophomore coming into this year. And then, of course, with what we've heard from Arch Manning for a number of years. Very interested in that game. Might be the most intriguing spring game of them all, just given what's going on at that position. Let's go next to the other UT, the Tennessee Volunteers. I think I think the big question mark for me with Tennessee, it'd be easy to say Joe Milton. It'd be easy to say, well, now that they've changed offensive coordinators with Golish now going to USF, I mean, they're still going to run hypo stuff, but are they going to show us something a little different, perhaps? No, I don't anticipate any of that. They got to break in a couple pieces along the offensive line. Yeah, there's a couple guys on defense. Would love that secondary to sure up. I'll be watching the secondary for sure. I'll be watching the wide receivers for sure. But I want to know how many new faces are going to hit the field for the Volunteers this year. A little bit like what we talked about earlier with Tennessee. I mean, there has been so much conversation about Nico Imaleva and whether or not you know he could potentially push Joe Milton at the starting quarterback spot. I can't wait to see what he's going to be, but he's not the only one. I mean, this was a very impressive 2023 recruiting class. You got a couple of guys that could potentially see time early. I'm really interested in seeing David Hobbs at wide receiver. I'm excited to see Nathan Laycock. I'm excited to see Caleb Hearing. I mean, these are guys that are potentially true freshmen that might find their way onto the field here in the fall. I also look at some of the instant impact transfers. They signed eight in the initial transfer window being open. That's a bunch. You got Deontay Thornton. They're Deontay Thornton, wide receiver from Oregon. You got McCallan Castles from FCS UC Davis, who people think has a chance to maybe step into an immediate role at tight end. And then on the defensive side, keep an eye. You have a couple of corn, a couple of guys that are, are the real deal. BYU transfers, Gabe Judy Lolly, and Keenan Peely. Now, Peely 
Started 24 games over the course of his four-year career with BYU, and he led the team in tackles last year. He might step right in for Jeremy Banks, and it wouldn't shock me if he secures that role. So I'll be keeping a close eye on Peely to see whether or not he's capable of filling that void that was clearly felt by the Tennessee defense at times last year. When Jeremy Banks was out against, say, South Carolina, that defense looked very different than when he was on the field earlier in the year. So Peely might be the most important transfer for Tennessee this year. My eyes will be glued to him, but I expect a lot of new faces for the Volunteers. Hopes and expectations remain high, but I'll be focusing in on some of the newcomers as they take to the field. Speaking of newcomers, let's go out west and a newcoming head coach that's taking over for the Sun Devils. My biggest question, we have all talked about Kenny Dillingham. Kenny Dillingham's like 17 years old. Okay, not really. He's 32 or whatever he is. He's the youngest coach, not just in the Power Five. He's the youngest coach in the FBS. So when I look at what he is as a young guy, and he's trying to breathe some enthusiasm and some youth into Arizona State, well, the good news is his roster is going to be pretty young. He's going to be pretty fired up to take the field. Why? Because he has under 30 players that have ever played college football on that roster. 30, that's it. Well, under 30 technically, just under 29. So not a lot of guys on that roster with college experience. Now, that might be a blessing, by the way. It's not like a three-win program last year. Oh, man, I really hate to see those guys graduate. No, they're going to be fine. I mean, they're, they're probably going to be all right. Why? They're probably going to make a million mistakes, and they might lose a bunch of games. But a lot of guys are going to cut their teeth and get real live repetitions and probably develop some chemistry and continuity. And then three years from now, when all those guys that played as freshmen are now juniors, you might be able to compete, and you might be able to contend. It's certainly possible. It's certainly probable. And if you listen to some of the players, there are a bunch of people that are really excited about the refocused group that decided to be retained. Jalen Conyers, you're hearing his name a lot. Elijah Badger, you're hearing his name a lot. You're also looking at some transfer guys that are now getting an opportunity to be featured players, like a Clayton Smith who's transferring over from Oklahoma. They're already really buzzing about what he might be as a consensus prospect just a couple of years ago, consensus top guy uh, all over the place. And you also hear about Idaho State transfer Xavier Guillory, who they seem to be very excited about as well. So some of the newcomers, just how young are the Sun Devils going to be? Because we might fast forward to the fall, and I'm not sure it would surprise any of us if Arizona State isn't among the youngest teams in all of college football. I think that's a high probability as of right now. Moving next to the Florida State Seminoles. Now, they have expectations, man. I mean, the buzz is real. Feels like the momentum has been created. There's some excitement in the offseason for the first time in a while involving the Florida State Seminoles. My thing about Florida State, and we've talked about this already before, and I want to be paying close attention to all the new faces and everything, but I just want to know how competitive are some of those starting jobs because this has been very obvious what Mike Norvell's approach is going to be. He's going to rely heavily on the portal. 
He's going to look into the portal every single year in order to fortify his roster, to increase his depth, to create competition on the roster. Now they've lost a couple guys. We talked about a guy a couple 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 minutes ago that just left Florida State and Malik McLean to go be a uh, go challenge for a wide receiver spot. So there's there's guys that are leaving their team too, but not as many. It feels like there's a lot more people heading to Tallahassee than are departing Tallahassee. Offensive and defensive line are likely to have a lot of guys that are probably going to make an early impact. You also look at a couple of other guys that might have an early impact as well. You got freshman wide receiver, Hakeem Williams, and Keziah Holmes, who's the running back. Those guys might be in a position, at least in the spring game, probably going to get a bunch of reps. Like, How much are you really going to run Lawrence Tofili and Trey Benson? I mean, do you really need to? Do you really want to? Trey Benson's coming off a knee from a couple of years ago. Like we know what he can do. Put him on the sideline. Let's see what Keziah Holmes can do. All right. Look at some of the other guys. And Keziah Holmes was at Penn State, by the way, and transferred to Tallahassee. Going to be really interesting now with Trayshawn Ward gone. Are they going to go with like a three-headed monster at running back? And Keziah Holmes, can he possibly be that number three guy? Of all the transfers that I'm most interested in seeing for the Florida State Seminoles, Probably Jaheim Bell would be at or near the top. Jaheim Bell coming down from South Carolina, extremely versatile weapon. I don't anticipate Mike Norvell showing me a whole lot in a scrimmage type setting of how he plans to use Jaheim Bell. He's played traditional running back. He's been moved tight end. He's been a flex out wide guy, tight end slash H back, can play slot receiver if you really want him to. He's a big body. He's just a Swiss army knife that you can move around. And Mike Norvell is as creative an offensive mind as you'll find. So to see how he's going to use him and see how he's going to attack defenses with him is something I, as an offensive nerd, am very excited about. Another guy I'm really excited about, Kyle Morlock. He's a transfer from Shorter. Now, he's a tight end. I'm not 100% sure how he factors in. To tell you the truth, not a lot of guys going from shorter to Florida State. So what's the jump in competition? Will he be a guy that they can lean on early? And then another guy that I'm paying close attention to, he's played in the league before. He's familiar with the terrain. Virginia transfer Fentrell Cypress. He's probably going to be their lockdown guy on the perimeter, maybe even day one. And we might find that out when they take to the field there in the spring game. So a lot that we need to look at. A lot of great depth on the outside trying to find some depth on the inside along both the offensive line and the defensive line. So it's a very important spring for the Seminoles to cash in on those postseason expectations that we're all putting upon their shoulders. And then finally, speaking of expectations, a team that has not handled expectations particularly well the last couple of years, the Texas A&M Aggies. The biggest question for them is who's replacing Devon A-Chain? I mean, at running back, he was your bell cow. Of course, departing early for the NFL draft, that's a massive void there in the backfield for the Aggies. He had first team all SEC last year, eclipsed 1,000 rushing yards, and he missed a lot of time in the process. Might have saved his best for last against the LSU Tigers. But if you look at the options that are going to be in fine line to potentially replace him, now Jimbo Fisher traditionally... He'll have a bell cow back, but he's not afraid to split carries. He's not afraid to give guys opportunities and to give guys roles. I'm really interested in seeing the dynamic 
between what I think has a chance to be a three-headed monster running back and to see how they delegate carries at least early in the season. We might get an indicator of that when they take to the field in their spring game. Amari Danielson Jr. has played a lot. He's got a decent amount of experience, does have some big play ability. And they are, I think we've seen him have productive performances in the past. I mean, the performance last year against Auburn, I think he had like 83 yards or so on 10 carries. We've seen what he can potentially do. Le'Veon Moss, he's a sophomore. Now, I think Moss is going to be steady and he's very much going to be in the mix, but the guy I'm most interested in is the newcomer Ruben Owens. Now, played 11 games for El Campo last season. That was in high school. Rushed for 1,781 yards and 25 touchdowns on 213 carries. Also contributed in the passing game, not a lot, but a little. And he might have an aspect of that to his game as well. I mean, this is a five-star guy, okay? Number two running back and the number 31 player overall, according to 247. So Ruben Owens will be the guy I'm watching most closely there at the Texas A&M spring game. But the battle to replace Devon A. Chain as that main back for the Yaggies certainly stays at or near the top of my list when tuning into that spring game. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, like always, we really appreciate the interaction that you guys have given the show. Always CFB on Instagram and Twitter. It helps us out when you send us some of these questions. Send us some feedback. Tell us what you want to hear because we're having great conversations every day, but we want to have them with you. I mean, you, the listener, are the reason why we're doing this. So we really appreciate you guys sending us our feedback on social media and on our email, alwayscollegefootball.com at gmail.com. So always college football at gmail.com. Hit us up, send in your questions. We have a long list of questions that we want to get to, and we are going to continue to get to those here in the days and weeks to come. Coops, what do you got? All right. First one comes from Robert in Colorado. Says, I'm a Hokie fan, and I think the expanded playoff will help allow opportunities for teams to elevate their programs and provide more parity to the sport. Do you think this will also improve TV coverage? I know fellow Hokie fans in Denver always get upset when nobody seems to be showing the game. I mean, you have a you have a deal with ACC Network, ESPN. Like, I mean, you you can watch your game. I mean, come on. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean that that's that is a fake fake thing to be upset about. But I dig it. All right, here's what I would say. Part of ESPN, CBS's, Fox's 
uh, NBC's, their whole approach now is going to be to play the hits. I mean, especially if they all own a piece of the playoff, which is possible down the road. If there's multiple television networks that are all in the running for it, the teams that are in the playoff hunt are going to get the most coverage. It's not, it's not because that they are not distributing coverage evenly. Like that's what I are. That's why our platform exists. Like we're going to talk Hokies. We're going to, we're going to talk Cavaliers, Wahoos, if you will, on the other side of the state in the Commonwealth. Like we're going to talk as many teams as we possibly can on a week to week basis. And we're going to highlight matchups that most places won't highlight. So there are places that exist for you to get the coverage of the team that you want. But at the same time, if you're interested in getting national focused discussion on what your program's doing, you almost have to be good. And that's, that's not, I'm not saying that with any negativity, but they're going to feed the, the beast that are going to be involved in the playoff discussion down the road. Now, the tricky part about that is that I think it took a long time for a lot of people to get on board with say TCU last year, because nobody took, looked at them at least nobody outside of this show looked at them as a viable playoff candidate at the six-way game, at six-game mark of the season. And I think a lot of people were like, "I don't know. I mean, maybe I, they think they'll get rocked if they did this. I think they'll get rocked if they did that." Well, they they took care of business, and it wasn't always pretty, but they found a way. Now, the good news is for the Hokies, I actually agree in a sense that it probably does benefit them in a twelve-team playoff format. It benefits them, but. I don't know if the ACC is going to be looked at through the same light as some of the other leagues. So for instance, if you finish, say, second in the Big Ten, are you more likely to get a playoff spot than a team that finishes second in the ACC? Probably. It's going to be a little bit like the NCAA tournament where there's some eye test variables. Yes, if you win your league, you're in. So Virginia Tech will always have that pathway they win the ACC, they're in the playoff. No questions asked, non-negotiable. But there is some wiggle room about whether or not they would get in at, as an at-large team because the strength of their league right now is maybe not as good as it's been at times in years past. So that would be my, uh, I guess, 30,000-foot perspective. You're At the end of the year, if you're 2-8, and eight, don't expect to get a lot of coverage. But if... At the end of the year, you're eight and two. You're on the fringe of the playoff discussion. You're going to get a lot of coverage. It just depends on how good you are. It really depends on how much coverage and what kind of platform you receive. All right. Next one comes from Bryce in Louisiana. Will Harold Perkins be better than Devin White and other past LSU linebackers taken in the first round? It's really early right now, right? And last year, after having done six LSU games, <laughs> very familiar with the LSU Tigers from 2022, and after doing arguably Harold Perkins's best game, that being against the Arkansas Razorbacks, I feel pretty confident that Harold Perkins will be better than Devin White. Now, think about this, though. They don't really play the same position. <laughs> now, a lot of people say, well, he's, he's playing linebacker. Yeah, but on third down, Devin White stayed in the middle of that defense and played sideline to sideline. Harold Perkins is going to be moved to the edge, then he becomes an edge rusher on third down. And I think that's what would separate him from Devin White. Now, Devin White could pressure the quarterback, but he was pressuring it from up the middle. He's pressuring it from linebacker level. He didn't put his hand in a three-point stance and rip off the edge against the left tackle. 
So that's where they're a little bit different. And that's why I think Harold Perkins's flexibility and his versatility might ultimately down the road give him a little bit of a leg up. And remember, last year, I remember sitting down with the LSU staff. They're like, I think this Perkins kid's pretty good. I mean, we, we think he's special. We feel really good about what he might be. But right now, he's not 100% sure what he's doing within the system. It's basically see ball, get ball. And Harold Perkins, as a freshman, did a pretty dang good job of that. Now, imagine when he has a full grasp of what they're trying to be defensively and understands his role within the defense, he's going to become even more difficult to, uh, he's going to become even more difficult to play against. And, and I think almost impossible to stop when he starts playing at his very best. Cliff Kingsbury is back. Yes, he's returned from Thailand, or at least that was his last whereabouts. Remember, after he got fired by the Arizona Cardinals, he decided to go off into obscurity and nobody really knew where he was. Well, he has reemerged and he is officially joining the staff for the USC Trojans. He is going to be an offensive analyst, well, senior offensive analyst. Heaven forbid I short him that, that title. What does that mean? I really don't know if you want me to be completely honest. I'm not sure he's going to be working hands-on on the field with any of the quarterbacks. But here's how this benefits Lincoln Riley, as if the rich need to get richer. Lincoln Riley already has a tremendous track record with quarterbacks. That's already understood. Look at what he did at Oklahoma. Look what he did year one with Caleb Williams at USC. But if you want to just further extend the narrative being that, hey, USC is the place to be if you want to develop into a high-level quarterback prospect. Well, Caleb William probably going to go number one overall next year. And just for the record, the best player in the NFL, yeah, our offensive analyst, Cliff Kingsbury, yeah, he's he was his college quarterback coach. He was his college head coach, Patrick Mahomes. He also had Davis Webb, NFL draft pick. Also had Johnny Manziel, NFL draft pick. Like Cliff Kingsbury has a tremendous track record of developing quarterbacks. It's just an additional layer of support for guys that are considering USC. And if they're maybe on the fence and they're trying to decide, hey, do I want to go somewhere else or do I want to go play for the Trojans? Well, I got Lincoln Riley and just for an additional set of eyes, an additional set of development, I got Cliff Kingsbury as well. So I think it's a huge coup, but I don't think it's as much as it relates to what they're doing offensively. I'm not sure he's going to change anything. I'm not sure he's going to adjust anything, but it does help when you put on that pamphlet and you send out that recruiting paraphernalia. Hey, not only will you have the best guy in college, but you also have a guy that's worked as a head coach in the NFL with Kyler Murray and a guy that's developed a whole heck of a lot of guys at this level that have made the transition beautifully to the next level as well. All right, that'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. Really, you can reach the show, Always CFB on Instagram and on Twitter. It helps us out. We look forward to those interactions with you on our social media platforms. And if you want to hit the show up via, via email, you can do that, alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Hope you've had a great week. We really have. We look forward to watching all these spring games tomorrow. It's going to be awesome. Tune in. 
check out, like I said earlier, FBSschedules.com. Really good when it comes to the spring game schedule. You can find it, you know where to watch it, and you can stream it, whatever you need to do. So it is really a beneficial resource that I would encourage you to check out before the games get underway tomorrow afternoon. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Jake, for Jack, for Mark, I'm Greg. We hope you have an incredible weekend. We'll be back on Monday. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.